This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Moose hunter or political opportunist, crony or informer, witch hunter or devout Christian. No other national political candidate has ever emerged on the American political scene with less scrutiny than Alaskan Governor Sarah Palin. In her new book, Thanks But No Thanks, The Voter's Guide to Sarah Palin, our guest today, Sue Katz, digs deep into the background of John McCain's running mate. Katz is an author a journalist, and a blogger who's been published on three continents. Sue Katz, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Well, um, let's get to the basic question. Obviously, Sarah Palin shows up on uh, September, I think it was September 1st was our first real uh, glimpse at her. When did you think, I need to put a book together on Sarah Palin? Right, I didn't really think that. I I, I think we heard about her on... August 30th, I think, and um, like so many people who had never heard of her, I mean, I was among the people who had never heard of her, and like any good journalist, I started researching and I started blogging about her. I kind of live on my blog, so I immediately started blogging on her, uh, about her the same day as I was researching, and after a few days, an independent publisher came to me and said, you know, I've been following your blogs on Sarah Palin. I like your take. How would you like to do a book in 28 days on Sarah Palin, four weeks? Okay. And I said, okay. That's exactly what I said. I had happened to take the month off for writing, not on that project, but I just dropped everything, and I worked 24-7. It was very, very exhilarating, really, to just take a topic about what you know zilch and, you know, become the world's expert. Uh, I see. It's Nathan here. Uh, how was Sarah an easy subject to write about? Well, she was at the time that I was writing for this reason. I was not the only journalist who said we better find out about this person. Every major news agency, every major organization like the Democratic Party sent teams and teams of people into Alaska, probably doubled Alaska's population, <laughs> you know, in that first month. So there was all this primary research coming out, all this writing. My idea for the book, obviously I couldn't do in 28 days primary research, but my idea was to distill for the reader, for the voter, you know, distill all this avalanche of material coming in. So in some ways, my job was fairly easy. What wasn't easy was that the story moved and changed every second. I was in a constant state of rewrite as a new little bit came up. I mean, she so presented herself falsely on that first major speech that, like, the whole month was spent kind of deconstructing all her stories. What do you mean by that? What what, uh, did she say that was so wrong about herself? God, let me think What's back. the worst you know, example? She, she, well, a lot of stuff. You know, she said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Oh, yeah. She said... Um, well, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I think the, the idea that she was a reformer and that she had rejected the bridge to nowhere yeah. initially. I think those that was... Were, that was the thanks, uh, but no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And also that she had been... Um, uh, no stranger to um, community issues around children with 
disabilities, that, implying that she had been engaged. Also referencing uh, Ferraro and Clinton and saying, you know, I'm going to kind of finish the job. I'm going, you know, uh, lining herself up uh, amongst the feminists, let's as it were. About, let's talk it, about that one for a little bit, because that's the one that kind of irks me, and I, re- I remember her saying that. Um, what what did you discover about her position on on feminism? How do, how does she line up with any sort of uh, women's rights? Well, she lines up as she should, as you know, someone whose mission is to advance a, a very heavily fundamentalist agenda. So she opposes abortion. I mean, she's in an extremely minority position on abortion. She opposes abortion even in instances of rape and incest, even amongst children. So. You know, there are very few people that hold that view, even among people that are not pro-choice. Um, she, she, you know, what I say about her, she sort of presents herself as a post-feminist, so that when people ask the question, how can you juggle this kind of family and that kind of responsibility, which is an unfair question to ask a woman, her response is to pretend like it isn't an issue, you know, oh, God, I'm, you know, I'm not stuck back in that old stuff. That's all over, you know, sort of like feminism has already achieved everything it needs to achieve. But when it comes down to it, I mean, probably the the thing that I discovered that most, most shocked me was about um, the rape kit scandal, which I'm sure you've heard of now. Yeah. At that time, when I wrote it in September, no one, no one had published anything about it um, other than a few feminist websites. And uh, this was a scandal in which I think probably your your listeners have heard about, in which during her time as mayor of Wasilla, and only during her time as mayor of Wasilla, uh, rape victims were charged for their forensic evidence kits. Um, you know, if you were burglared and they came in and took fingerprints, you weren't charged. If you were raped, you were charged to collect evidence. And it, it, no small charge, between 300 and $1,200. Okay, so that scandal was now is now being discussed and is now being reported on but what blew my mind is during my research i discovered that the united states has the highest rate uh, of rape of any country that keeps those kinds of stats the highest and of uh, um, and, and of uh, the 50 states, Alaska has the highest rape rate. So we're talking about an astronomical, you know, really a pandemic of rape. And what she should have been doing was pouring resources into discovering why that kind of culture existed and how to eradicate it. No, I heard that statistic uh, slightly differently in that uh, rape and incest was was, was a, uh, the highest in the, in the country. And I don't know how statistically that is uh, dealt with, or if you if you know that to be true, but uh, is that, is am I right? I, I hadn't heard about that, but um, yeah, you know, so much rape is perpetrated on young people, yeah, and so uh, something like uh, well over ninety percent of rape is is um, you know is done by someone who knows the victim. Mm. So it seems like those two might go together. Yeah, yeah. I d- you know, certainly trusted adult. I don't know. You know, I don't know what definition of incest. There's various definitions, but certainly trusted adult. No, I, I think it's important as you as you just framed this. This this uh, 
putting the onus on the victim to pay for the rape kit was only during her tenure as as mayor. So it's not as if she was carrying out a policy that had been uh, left to her. She she implemented this on her own. Yeah, I mean, even after the the governor pushed legislation and the in the in the state passed state legislation outlawing this, her chief of police was still protesting that it was messing up his budget and um, that that budget line. But that budget line had been in in all administrations before um, uh, she took over. And what's interesting is that the thing that moved the state to pass legislation to outlaw charging rape victims was that the the um, Violence Against Women Act. Um, the federal. Out, it that, did not, you know, had as one of its provisions that, that the states couldn't get funding if they charged for rape kits. And the person who wrote that act was Joe Biden. And in fact, Joe Biden has said um, repeatedly that it is the one um, piece of work that he's done as a public servant that he's most proud of in life. So there's a contrast. There is a contrast. Well, talk about, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> karma, karma coming yeah. back there. There he is. Uh, the book is Thanks But No Thanks, uh, Voter's Guide to Sarah Palin. We're speaking with Sue Katz. Um, there I'm kind are... of curious about your take on, on Sarah Palin's religion. Uh, what what frightened me the most was, uh, well, early on what frightened me the most was her uh, possibility that she believed that... Uh, humans rode on the backs of dinosaurs at one point in time, or at least uh, inhabited the same planet at the same time. Uh, how, how uh, God, in, in my view, how archaic is are her religious beliefs? Well, I don't know if I would call them archaic. I, well, would, I would name them as <laughs> fundamentalist, and I would say that she grew up as an adult. She matured in a Pentecostalist uh, environment, and that her closest connection um, is with a church that um, that is Pentecostalist. They speak in, in voices, and um, the most important thing, I think, about it is that the pastor of that church, a guy named Ed Kalins, this is the guy who said that anybody that voted for Kerry, he said in 2004, would go to hell, and took so much flack on it that he later sort of said I was kidding. But he believes that the end of days is coming in our lifetime. And he believes that Alaska is one of the refuge states um, where hundreds of thousands of people are going to come to Alaska to seek refuge, those that are being saved. You know, Sarah Palin has been very close to the religious right in the Republican Party all along, from the days of Wasilla. So she has been supported. When I said I'm one of the people that didn't know anything about her, the religious right has known about her all the time. And in fact, they are probably the people that imposed her on McCain. I mean, McCain wanted Lieberman, his best bud. You know, he wanted to sort of go on the road with his best friend, Lieberman. And, and, and it'd be sort of a bipartisan ticket. Yeah, right, right. but, you know, the Republicans weren't having that. In my opinion, the Republican, Republican Party is in such disarray now. There is no real beloved leader. There's no real respected leader. I mean, none of the leaders could even get the Republicans to vote for the bailout package the first time. Not the president, not Cheney went, you know, came out of his cave and went up on the hill, not the leaders of, of Congress, not McCain, who suspended his campaign to go and talk them into it. None of them could at all. Um, 
you know, so that kind of traditional Republican leadership is completely in disarray. The only unit in the Republican Party that remains disciplined, enthused, you can call them out, you can count on them, they operate um, as a block, that's the religious right. And Sarah Palin is the person, they are thrilled with Sarah Palin. They don't care that she doesn't, that she's not interested in international relationships, that she's not... um, doesn't read a newspaper or can't name one anyway. Can't or name a, a magazine su- or a Supreme they, Court decision beyond Roe v. Wade. Yeah, they don't care about those things. No. They care that she opposes abortion in a rabid way um, and supports the rest of their agenda around reproduction and around. Um, well, I think there is a little. There is more. And obviously, we can go back to the Charlie Gibson and the Sarah, and the, uh, uh, yeah. the Katie Couric interviews and. Uh, even the softball interviews like Hannity reveal some things uh, about her. But the the most recent one, um, trying to, it was Brian Williams, where, where he asked her about whether or not uh, in the definition of terrorism do the people who have been bombing abortion clinics, do they qualify in her mind as terrorists? And she, you, I'm sure you heard her, she danced around that. Like, she absolutely would not answer. She would not. She First thing she said was, well, William uh, Ayers is a terrorist and because he wanted to bomb the Capitol and the Pentagon. And then she said, I don't know if we can go there. I think that's essentially what we can't go there and call those people who are protecting innocent life uh, terrorists. And I think the more that those kinds of things get out there, the the more she's revealed. And I don't mind, and personally, I don't mind if she is who she is and she, she appeals to this 20 or 30 percent of the electorate. But it is, in fact, she needs to be revealed. And and through your book and and these interviews, I think we're getting a a bigger picture of her. Well, and I think in this last week, we're really going to get a good picture, because if all all, you know, the reports are accurate, and I wrote about this last week, you know, she's been taking positions not only independently of McCain, but in contradiction of McCain. Yeah. And um, I wrote about her position on a constitutional amendment amendment. outlawing gay marriage, which McCain has never supported. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are saying, you know, there's a lot of talk by pundits that she's going rogue, and there's a lot of reports inside the campaign. Now, obviously, this campaign believes it's going to lose, and so everybody's scrambling to, you know, to sort of disassociate themselves from blame. They're updating but, their resumes as we speak. Yes, <laughs> I guess so. Uh, but she is... Uh, just doing her thing. I mean, she's out there now. She's refusing to be hustled from from the car to the stage. She's stopping. She's talking to people. She's talking to reporters, even though her handlers are all but, like, uh, grabbing her and, you know, tossing her into the vehicle. She's insisting, you know, they're standing next to her going, okay, thank you very much. That's it. Okay, yes, that's the end. And she's still talking. Well, that was last week. I know she was on the tarmac at some airport somewhere. Yeah. And the, the handlers were in their cars. They were ready to roll. And yeah. they, somebody turned around and saw her with a gaggle of newsmen and freaked out and ran over and basically tried to shut that down. And, and she's been even alluding to this in speeches uh, the yeah. last couple of days about the clothing uh, hubbub and saying, that's not me. I don't know where that came from. Now there's yeah. a lot of finger pointing between her and the RNC and yeah. who had did this and who did that. So uh, it's you, you suspect this will continue. Yeah, I suspect it will continue and I suspect her career will continue. In fact, um, what I have been saying, and I've been saying this for some time, is that um, Sarah Palin is the only happy Republican in all of America. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, she's, uh, I mean, for her, it's been quite a ride. You know, she's gone from Wasilla to Saturday Night Live, and uh, she's loving it, absolutely loving it. And for the, for the religious right, they are over the moon because they've never had such an appealing yeah. person. They're all so dour. They're also, you know, they've never had such a lively person before her. So I think that come November 4th, whatever happens, She's going to be the head of the party. Yeah, there is something to. I, I believe what you just said is absolutely accurate. The uh, the leadership of the Republican Party, as it's constituted today, looks constipated. Uh, we have a whole lot of older, elderly, white-haired guys running around trying to plug holes, trying to appear to be dynamic when nothing could be further from the truth. And here you have this woman who is attractive and well-spoken within a context of a fairly narrow range of issues, but she is well-spoken when given uh, the proper uh, prompting. And uh, she looks happy. You're absolutely right. And the, the crowds appear to be very enthusiastic. It's predominantly, you know, if you look at the backgrounds, it's, I don't know how the, the whole uh, audience looks, but you look at the background of these events, and it's mostly women. Uh, I don't know what the demographic is here, but they just seem very, very enthused about her. And uh, Yeah. Well, Obama is, you know, 18 points ahead in women right across the board, and when you break it down, it just is more and more surprising. The whole initial uh, take that so many pundits had that they picked Sarah Palin to mop up disgruntled um, Clinton voters, which I never bought and I don't think was ever the case, yeah. um, certainly never panned out. Yeah. It never panned out. I mean, people uh, were absolutely furious about that. Gloria Steinem had the best quote, I think, of anybody, and I read it all. She said, um, to vote in protest for McCain-Palin would be like saying, somebody stole my shoes, so I'll amputate my legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're speaking with Sarah, uh, with Sarah, I'm sorry, with Sue Sarah Katz. Payton. I'm so sorry. I actually know a woman named Sarah Katz. And, uh, so I'm, uh, anyway, Sue Katz, and the book is Thanks But No Thanks, a voter, the Voter Guide to Sarah Palin. Um, I want to uh, go back to her, a possibility of her being, you said, the, the leader of the Republican Party. I, is there a... Do you think that she can organize around that and organize around this Christian fundamentalism to the point that it really does pose a threat to the Democrats? Because as it stands now, it doesn't seem to. Well, what, do you mean before November 4th or after November 4th? No, after 4th? November 4th. 2012. So, yeah, give her, give her four more years or, yeah. or whatever. Does she go... Well, I- I don't think she, when I say she'll be the leader, I mean that she'll be the face, uh, is really what I mean. And I don't think, you know, as we know, she has no truck with community organizing. So I don't think organizing is probably her strong card. Um, and I think that she serves the interests of, you know, of that block and those people. But I think she's a great face for them. I don't think she, in her, in and of herself, is the threat, but I think she's going to be the mouth mouthpiece. You know, she's very, very close to Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham. And Franklin Graham is a very, very wealthy guy, very powerful guy. And he's been her keynote speaker for the last two, for the only two um, governor's breakfasts. And um, he apparently had quite a chat with, with uh, John McCain, or so it was rumored. Um, but he belongs to a, a, a part of fundamentalism that's called the elite fundamentalists, and those are the people who feel that they are doing God's will and that God wants them, God has chosen them to do 
exactly what they're doing, and that's what is scary. Are, are, yeah. the, are these the the Reconstructionists? The uh, the uh, oh, I forgot the type, the name, the the ones. Well, I just who, want to know if they believe in the end times. Yeah, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They believe in the end time, but they which, but they believe. In other words. They probably one one journalist put it really beautifully that they didn't they don't feel they chose Sarah Palin they feel Sarah Palin was given to them right and she's made that reference herself yeah she has and she, you know she, the only other you know powerful political figure that we know that that feels that way is Bush Bush really has said repeatedly, if I didn't think that God was speaking through me, I wouldn't be able to do this work. I, I heard somebody uh, very recently refer to uh, Sarah Palin as Georgina. And uh-huh. and and I think that that's, you're right. I mean, she's kind of the, the attractive embodiment of much of what George Bush has been saying for the last uh, do you, do, uh, eight years. Do you think that uh, there's a chance that she goes away after the election, and she comes back in a year or two. It's uh, the the new and improved Sarah Palin, who's uh, who's done her research on foreign policy issues, and comes back. She's going to be a great fundraiser for the Republican Party. Oh, absolutely! She's going to yeah. be. Uh, she, I mean, on the circuit, she's going to raise lots and lots of money, which is going to give her an awful lot of support along the way. But does she go away for a year or two? Come back, uh, the new improved Sarah Palin. You know, tan, rested, and ready, and and ready for two thousand and twelve. I, I suspect that may happen, but it's just hard to know yeah. going forward what's going to happen, not the least, because it appears that we're going to have a pretty strong democratic control of government, period. And they are inheriting a world crisis that no one has ever dealt with. And I don't care who you are and who you assemble for your team. Whoever jumps into power now is jumping really neck deep into crap. Yeah. Um, and and there nobody's going to come out of this clean. So, you know, it's really, really a thankless job um, that Obama and his administration to be are facing. And, I, you know, I can imagine that as things get worse and worse and as the world economy, you know, um, shatters even further, that he's not going to be quite so popular. Well, if there are historic parallels, uh, you know, Franklin Roosevelt went into his administration under circumstances that were maybe not even as bad as this because we were fighting two wars, and it looks like Bush's parting gift to Barack could be a war either in Pakistan or Syria, expanding these wars even further, and even Iran. I'm still convinced that the Israelis are are looking at uh, at But they're not anymore. Well... Okay. I mean, I have a whole theory about that, but they were with probably with Olmert, but Olmert's gone. Right, but then the U.S. just sold them an advanced uh, uh, radar installation, radar system that looks very offensive. And anyway, getting away from that for just a second, I'm going back to the Franklin Roosevelt analogy here, and that is he inherited uh, a, a, an economy that continued to collapse even as he was president. I mean, yeah. people think of the Depression as happening in 29. It really happened in 31, 32, yeah. 33. Yeah. So, and he was able to, to remain in power for 16 years, or he would have if he had lived that long. And and so there is an opportunity. I guess the long, the long point here is there is an opportunity for the Democrats to turn this crisis into opportunity and cement a, 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 a majority for, for the next couple of generations of politicians. Now, what do you find the most frightening about Sarah Palin out of everything? Is there one thing that really stands out for you that, that uh, would, we haven't even gotten to the point that she's the one heartbeat away from uh, the presidency? 
uh, what would frighten you the most about her as president? Well, certainly as vice president, you know, you bring up a point about her being one heartbeat. You know, one in three vice presidents becomes president. Mm-hmm. One in three. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's not just the four that were killed or the four that died of nat- nat- natural causes, all of whom were younger and uh, less ill than McCain, but also the vice presidents who finished being vice president and went on to become president. So that's a very scary figure. I, I think part of, you know, what I, uh, makes me shake my head over Sarah Palin is her complete disinterest in anything beyond her fundamentalist agenda. I mean, she's just not interested. She's not curious. It's not her area um, of expertise, and she doesn't care. And America is, is, has such an impact on the rest of the world. And I know this. I lived abroad for 24 years in different places. And, you know, but you don't even have to live abroad. You can just, like, look over the foreign press and see how totally, totally engaged they are with this election. Because, you know, Iceland has gone bankrupt. Banks in Britain have, you know, closed, uh, gone out of business. Uh, The Japanese stock market has collapsed. Japanese stock market has collapsed. I mean, absolutely the whole. And this is just the developed nations. We know what we're going through and how the po- what's happening with the poverty rate in this country. And this is a developed nation. Right. You can imagine the impact on, on uh, the rest of the world. It is just absolutely dire. So, really, the position of American president, as we see, it's no laughing matter. It's for the rest of the world. And I guess that's what's really scary about a person like Sarah Palin, who, you know, counts as one of her trips o- ab- abroad, uh, that she, her plane stopped to gas up in Ireland. So she counts Ireland. That was one of the stories that she told, um, you know, in the early days. That- I know we were very short on time. I-, I really think that Sarah Palin's appeal has something, in a perverse sort of way, something to do with the idea that she embodies this notion that anyone can be president in the United States of America, that we are so divorced from that concept because of the string of people that we've had in office over these many years, that she is this sort of, wow, I could wake up one morning and be in a position to be president of the United States, and that she has really, that's kind of her appeal to a lot of people. I I think that may be true, but... um Really, it's no position for just anybody no. to take off. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, and I, I want to thank you so much for being here on uh, Weekly Signals. The book is Thanks, But No Thanks, The Voter's Guide to Sarah Palin. Sue Katz, thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.